the reality of preaching in a church which features a scripture reading before the sermon is that you know where we're headed sometimes. And I've uh, been in a lot of churches, and many of the churches I've preached in have not featured that. And so I was able to kind of keep my cards a little bit closer, if you will, to kind of save the punch and save the, the moment about where I'm headed. Uh, but thank you, Fernando, for beautifully reading our scripture today. Thank you for that spoiler alert of what we're going to look at and where Jesus is going to lead us. And, uh, but you know what? Following Jesus where he takes us is, is a good thing. It's a good thing. And so I invite you to do that with us this morning. So we've got a clue. We, we know a little bit of, uh, of where we're headed this morning. But this, this word uh, and this teaching from Jesus is as relevant for us today as I think it ever, ever has been. Because when we look at the teaching of Jesus, which we will from Matthew 5, we see that we're not just talking about murder in a literal sense. Jesus is inviting us this morning to dial it back a little bit more, to, to, to think about all the ways that we devalue or dehumanize others around us, the, the ways that we harbor bitterness or, or anger or contempt or malice within our hearts towards others, the ways that we even lash out towards others. Or, or even that kind of more internalized experience, if you will, of just of, of, of thinking in someone and, and just wishing, wishing injury or, or wishing failure or disappointment on somebody else. Maybe somebody that's wronged us. When the ethics of Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, in which we explore what is life to look like, under God's reign? What is life to look like for us as followers of Jesus? All of these things are, are at play. We even have some, some data about our local community right here in Andover that tells me that we should continue pay attention, paying attention to these issues. And Maureen Smith, who prayed for us this morning, uh, who is our director of community service, and missions here at the church, and also one of our resident data junkies. She passes along super helpful surveys and reports and things to us to just help us as a church and as a staff to understand our community. Where our people are at? Who are our people? And how can we minister to them? But one of these reports that uh, Maureen passed along, uh, they surveyed individuals living within a mile and a half of this building. So think about a mile and a half in any direction, a mile and a half radius from Free Christian Church right here on Elm Street. And this is the, the survey sample that these findings come from. But this, this report uh, compiled by Mission Insight, they, they survey people on various life concerns. They call them life concerns to so try to figure out how, how resonant are these things with you? Are these worries of yours? And so some of these life concerns are especially relevant to our, our topic this morning. But again, think about our church is here situated in Andover. Think about where we are. And think about a mile and a half in any direction from this place. We're, we're essentially talking about Andover proper. So think about that. You've got uh, many people, many but not all people who have good paying jobs, who have high levels of education, 
who have access to good education, who have some resources. So this is who we're talking about as we think about these results. By the way, the data people in the crowd are going to love the next couple of minutes. For everybody else, thank you for indulging this moment. I hope it will be illuminating. But life concerns, okay? So the concern of anger and losing one's temper is the first one we'll start with. 32.3% of people reported modest concern about anger and losing their temper. 5.2% reported significant concern in this community about anger and losing their temper. That one was pretty close to the national average, by the way. Conflict resolution and arguing too much. 32.9% report modest concern. 5.7% report significant concern about conflict resolution and arguing too much. That, too, was close to the national average. Turn the dial up a little bit. Domestic violence in my family. 8.6% report modest concern. 2.4% report significant concern about domestic violence in my family. That one was slightly below the national average. One final category for our purposes here. Stress. Needing more time to relax. 46.4% report modest concern. 16.7% report significant concern about stress in their lives. So that one was also close to the national average. But more importantly, this report also compared data to see where we're trending, to see where are we headed, how are things going in society. And so they compare results from 2012 and 2017. And so how did things trend? Well, those reporting significant concern about anger management rose by 0.6%. Those reporting significant concern about conflict resolution, arguing too much, rose 0.3%. Those reporting significant concern about domestic violence in their families rose a full 1% in five years. And those reporting significant concern about stress rose nearly 2%, 1.9% in five years. So what's the point? What do we conclude? if anything, from this. Well, it seems that according to these results about our local community right here and Andover is that a significant number of people, a sizable number of people are concerned about anger, conflict resolution, domestic violence even, stress in their lives. But not only that, but that these things are trending higher. These things are rising as time goes on it would appear. And so I share this with you just to say that Jesus' words to us this morning challenge us today and speak to our human experience, speak to our lives, speak to the lives of those in our community. So this morning, I want to look at three things. I want to look at three aspects of this commandment, this sixth commandment that we have. And the first is the letter of the law. What are we talking about? What did this originally mean? And, and maybe some, what are some of the direct, explicit applications for us today? But more importantly, I want to look at the spirit of the law. Again, this morning, we're following Jesus on this commandment. Where does he take us? What is the heart of the matter according to Jesus in his kingdom? And then lastly, the, the calling of, of the law. As we 
follow Jesus wherever he's going to lead us this morning. How do we respond? What do we do? What does he urge us to do this morning? Let us first pray. God, as we look at our hearts this morning and as we examine ourselves, Lord, we thank you for the possibility of a clean heart. The possibility of a clean heart that you've given to us. Freedom from anger, malice, contempt, bitterness. Lord, I pray you would help us all to lean into that. To whatever degree we may or may not be struggling with these issues this morning, God, show us how to have a clean heart and to honor others with all that we think and say and do towards them. So, Lord, apply the truth of this word by your Holy Spirit to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So a word about the letter of the law. What does this commandment have in view originally? Well, uh, considering the, the context of this commandment, considering how this word translated as murder is used throughout the Hebrew scriptures, we have here in this commandment a prohibition of illegitimate killing. So a prohibition of illegitimate killing. So we're talking about premeditated murder. We're talking about violent crimes that result in the loss of life. We're talking about death due to carelessness or, or negligence even. So this word, this, this term refers to all, all taking of human life outside of the context of, of war and of capital punishment in the Hebrew understanding, in the Old Testament. And so we can debate how we in, in our day see and experience and practice war and, and capital punishment. But in, in this context, Hebrew has a different word to refer to killing in those circumstances. And as many of you know, as many of you may have discovered as you crack your Old Testament, the, the Old Testament is quite a violent book. It, it, there are times when God calls his people into battle and into warfare. But even for a violent book, there is still a clear sense in God's law of legitimate and illegitimate taking of life. And so that's a little bit what's going on here. Well, thinking about that original meaning, that letter of the law, and, and, and trying to figure out what, what's the crossover for us today? What's the application for us today? Uh, I would say to us that the people, that we as the people of God our right to denounce the destruction of human life, the devaluing of human life, created in the image of God in various forms. And so denouncing the killing of the unborn, denouncing the types of ethnic cleansing that we have seen throughout history, denouncing the attempts to remove the physically, the mentally disabled from societies throughout history, denouncing the medical experimentation on certain communities of certain color and the devaluing and the dehumanizing that happens in that. And so all of these things are, are, are reprehensible wrongs. These are all offenses to God. So this commandment, this is enshrined in God's law for us, both in the Old Testament and how Jesus rearticulates it in the new. This is still relevant for us today because the premise here, the foundation, is that only God can create life and only God can remove life. So in its original sense, 
we have a prohibition of illegitimate killing. But we're following Jesus today. Where does Jesus lead us? In his rearticulation of, of the law in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, in his explanation of the ethics of his kingdom, what is life to look like in his kingdom? Where does Jesus lead us? We see that Jesus raises the bar. Jesus raises the bar. We pick up for this in Matthew chapter 5, and we remember here the setting. Jesus is, is teaching both his disciples who are immediately gathered with him and, and the crowds of those who have followed him who are in earshot as he sits on the mountain to teach them. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So we see here that Jesus understands that it's, it's, it's a heart condition. This is an internal condition that manifests itself in all the various forms of anger and, and bitterness and contempt and malice that we may experience. And even if those things are not taken to their logical extreme, even if these things do not result in murder in a literal sense, the, the, the point is that these are all part of the same heart condition that Jesus is addressing. And in his kingdom, Jesus is interested in pure hearts. Pure hearts. Not just, not just obedience to the letter of the law, but pure hearts. Most of us probably have, have thought or even behaved or acted out of this kind of heart condition. I remember one time late in my high school years, I was, I was out doing some yard work in the, in the, side, the side yard of our, our house. And as I came around the corner, uh, around the hedge along the, the street, I saw this, this kid approaching on, on a bike. This kid's about my age. And um, he's sort of riding his bike a little erratically and kind of mumbling aggressively to himself. I wasn't quite sure what was going on. But but as he passed me, he said some sort of snide remark at me that I don't fully remember what it was. But then to make matters worse, as he passes by me on the street, he took his green Sprite bottle and he threw it in the yard, our yard, that I was cleaning up and trying to take care of. And I remember, uh, you know, as, as, he, as he passed by out of view, I... I remember thinking, are, are you serious? Like, who, who does that? Who, does you, who do you think you are? to disrespect me this way. So my chest is kind of puffed up, right? And I'm sort of ready, ready for a fight. And I remember thinking in that moment that, you know, I hope that he comes back around. I hope that he comes back around because I'm going to tell him off. I'm going to straighten him out, right? Well, he never did come back around. That's probably okay. And eventually I kind of cooled off from this, this moment of, feeling disrespected, disregarded by this passerby, this punk kid. And whether it's that kind of disrespect that you may experience from others, 
or whether it's kind of maybe a, a growing contempt in your heart for, 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 for this arrogant person at work who just seems to keep excelling somehow, keep getting promoted. Or whether it's what you feel in your heart towards that person that wronged you years ago, but that you continue to see, you continue to bump into, who you hope will fail. In our human condition, we can all find this place within ourselves if we dig deep enough. But I feel it's important to probe a little bit further about who Jesus is addressing here too. And based on how the word brother is used throughout the Gospels and sister used throughout the Gospels and, and keeping in mind here again that Jesus is addressing his disciples, it seems fair to say that Jesus is interested in reconciliation between his followers, between fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, between members of the church. Some translations, like the one you heard this morning, they preserve the, the, this Aramaic term, raka. So this was an, this was an insult in the, in, in the colloquial language of the time. And it probably meant something like empty-headed, like, like a fool. And so whether it was that or, or some other insult, the, the point that Jesus is making is that it's, it's spiritually murderous to say these types of things, especially towards other members of the body. Christ, other fellow brothers and sisters. Especially murderous to say that in that context, but also to all people generally, to sort them with that, that, treat them with that sort of contempt. So we're following Jesus on the commandment. Where is Jesus taking us? Where is he leading us? And as we do that, we see that this is a word for all of us. Jesus is calling us to preserve the dignity and the humanity of our neighbor, of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, other members of his church, this church, and to honor them in all that we think and say and do toward them. But how do we get there? How are we to live this out? How are we to walk this out? Well, Jesus helps us, and so we continue to follow him. Picking up verse 23, Jesus says, therefore, this is the illustration he uses just based on this teaching we've just heard. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Verses 23 and 24 might sound a little familiar to you. Uh, that text and, and other texts in, in Matthew formed the kind of the scriptural basis for the peacemaking series that we did, the peacemaking mini-series we did a few weeks back as we went through the Gospel of Matthew. And so if, if you're interested in kind of exploring what it is to be a biblical peacemaker. What does that look like? You can check out those sermon archives from the end of May, early June on our, on our website. And this is what Jesus calls us to, to be people of, of peace. 
But to remedy the, the heart condition we're talking about, to remedy the internal experience that we're talking about of contempt, malice, verbal and physical assault, and even murder, Jesus calls us to reconciliation. The first picture that Jesus uses, the first illustration that Jesus uses is the picture of a Jewish worshiper bringing their gift at the temple in Jerusalem. And, and, and so Jesus uses a familiar image because we remember that Jesus much of the time addressed Jewish audiences. And so this was a familiar image to them. I remember several years ago when I worked in college ministry, I remember being at a staff training one time. And the people leading our, leading our meeting told us that we would take communion together after a, a time of worship and prayer and, and singing together. But then they gave space to everybody in the room. All of the college ministry staff gathered there. People who had dedicated their lives to serving God and to ministering to college students. They, they gave us all a space to forgive, to confess, to reconcile with each other as needed. And so, to be honest, it, that, it was a, a bit of a funny moment for me because I was brand new on staff, and so I didn't have problems with anybody. Sometimes that takes a little time. Life together, serving together, things come up, offenses happen. So it was a little funny for me and perhaps some others in the room. But, but it, was, it was powerful to see these people who had dedicated their lives to serving God, working that room and huddling up together, praying together, embracing each other. And this went on for 30 or 45 minutes as we worshiped and as we prepared for communion. And what it was, it, it was a moment to attend to the heart. It was a moment to look inside. It was a moment to get right with each other and before God. And I think that experience those years ago when I was in college ministry is a pretty darn good example and application of what we're talking about here, of what Jesus is talking about here. The point of Matthew 5 here, what Jesus is telling us is, is that God cares more about our wholeness, our health and our relationships, our posture towards each other, the integrity of our relationships than he does about our religious observance and ritual. I'll say that again. Jesus seems to be concerned and to say that God cares more about our wholeness and our reconciliation with each other and our integrity with each other than he does about our religious observance or religious ritual. And so the point of that experience there as I was gathered with other staff was that taking communion together had to be done in a worthy manner. It had to be done with a clean heart. And so that exercise with other staff seeking forgiveness and reconciliation was the only proper way to prepare for that. The second example that Jesus gives us verses 25 and 26, is, is of a more legal nature. Thinking about somebody taking you to court. But this example calls us to reconciliation as well. 
And the warning here would seem to be that particularly that as, as fellow members of the body of Christ, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, choose to take legal action against one another. Rather than tending their hearts, examining their hearts, and working those things out in the community of faith, this amazing resource that God has given us, as we choose that path, we just leave ourselves wide open to be accountable before God. And so that choice is an offense to God and leaves us in a humbling place. Well, as we follow Jesus on this, we see that the true spirit of the law is about the heart. It's about what you're experiencing inside. And and so the question for us this morning is, in in what ways do we harbor, maybe, anger or, or bitterness or malice or contempt towards someone else? In what ways do we challenge the worth, the dignity, the value, the humanity of somebody else? by how we think about them, by what we say or do towards them. And some of you in the room this morning, some of you may have been significantly hurt or even traumatized by somebody else. And so if that's your experience, Jesus still calls us to the hard work of forgiveness, even if what was done to you cannot be forgotten. But for all of us in the room, as we deal with everyday hurts, offenses, Jesus calls us to tend to our hearts, to examine where we're at, and to step out in reconciliation. Not only that, not only that, we speak life. We value life and the dignity of others, and we speak blessing to them rather than condemnation, verbally, physically, or in our hearts. We can posture ourselves like the psalmist David who said in Psalm 139, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We remember, though, that even as Jesus has raised the bar, even as he calls us to examine our hearts, he has not left us alone to walk this out, to obey the truth of this commandment. God has given us his very spirit to convict us, to purify us, to challenge us, and most importantly, to empower us to honor those around us, love our neighbor, and honor them with all that we think and say and do towards them. So let us pray. God, thank you that you have initiated reconciliation with us, Lord, that our sin, by our sin, we were enemies. And yet you made a way for us to know you and be connected to you and to walk with you, be reconciled to you, God. So that is our starting place, Lord. Thank you for the gift of the gospel in our lives. Pray, Lord, that that would empower us. And I pray, God, for anybody here uh, resonating with these things, struggling with these things, these matters of the heart. Lord, I pray for your empowerment and for your freedom to come that we might love our neighbor and honor them internally and externally. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.